the end of the day, it's the most important to be truthful to yourself about who you want to be, about what you envision your identity being, about whether you're somebody who your grandkids would be proud to have as a grandfather or grandmother. Battling alcoholism can be a monumental task. However, expert boulder Sam Redman has faced the truth and mastered both the booze and the granite. Find out how this 37-year-old is conquering climbs that few have mastered on this episode of A Tale to Tell. All right, I'd like to welcome Sam Redman to the podcast today. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. And so you are a boulderer or a rock climber. What is the proper term you know bouldering is a, is a good term for it that's mostly what i do it's um it's basically the kind of concentrated form of climbing everything is short there's no ropes i mean well as short as you want it to be obviously the okay. sky is the limit for how high you're willing to go but mostly it's these freestanding blocks that you protect with a crash pad as opposed to bringing a rope and all of your gear it's okay. it's the sprinting of climbing basically okay and you've so, traveled all around the world doing yep this. yeah i've gone to canada france all over the united states you know a lot of the big destinations here as far as joe's valley and waco and bishop and okay a lot of the what we would call the world-class climbing areas and spent a lot of time in fontainebleau which is kind of where the sport was born. Okay. So, yeah. So did you, what got you started doing this? Were you, did your family get you involved or what, what you know, got you started? It was, it was actually a, uh, a class in high school with, okay. with uh, Vicki Thyfault. Um, shout out to Miss Thyfault. Um, she had an outdoor education class that, uh, that I signed up for. It was kind of the most sought after class that everybody wanted to take. And, and I uh, managed to get into it and, um, for one of the activities we went climbing and and I just really took a liking to it and I had some friends who were into it and uh it it just felt like the thing to do. In high school I was a lot um a lot smaller, you know. I never really had a a great growth spurt until probably my senior year. So was that one of the things that kind of made you gravitate towards it because it was something you knew you could It was something do that I could or, do. Yeah. 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 I, I had a natural proclivity to it. Obviously when I was in high school I wanted to do all those cool things like high jump and long jump and things like that and track and that was a bit of a challenge, you know, but I think that being smaller is a is a character builder and you know, I got taller later on. But um but yeah, I just felt like my kind of gymnastic style mm-hmm. helped with learning how to climb and I seemed to pick it up relatively quickly so so once you learned how to climb then did you start traveling around the state and then their country or how did you yeah take off with that I well first we climbed around Durango a bunch you know and and I and I spent a lot of time back at ACR it used to be the old climbing gym and kind of learned about it and started you know picking up an understanding for how it all worked and you know, and we would go out to all the different areas around here, and and uh, and I just liked it more and more and more. And then I actually met um, basically kind of my um, my mentor in climbing, which his name is Chris Schulte. I mean, I had lots of mentors. I mean, you know, Kevin Ditzler, Tom Hefner, my friend Jesse. They all showed me a lot. But when I met Chris Schulte, he was on just a whole nother level, and that was what he wanted to do full time. When you say a whole other level, what did he do that just 
took you. He he basically authored all of the most difficult climbs in Durango. Most of there's there's kind of two real legendary personalities as far as Durango goes, and and those would be um, Chris Schulte being one of them, and then the original really strong climber who kind of put up all of the routes back in the eighties. Um, his I'm trying to. Uh, Sure, I'm trying to remember his name at the moment, but um, but he had kind of authored all the most difficult routes up until that point, and okay. then Chris Schulte basically pushed it into the future, and he's gone on to be um, John Duran was the the first one. Okay, he was the legend. He was going, you know, back in the '80s, he was he was putting up climbs that are, are still considered very very difficult today. Okay, you know, and and uh, and Chris Schulte ended up becoming, you know. A, a world-class climber. He climbs for Black Diamond and Adidas, and he writes for Rock and Ice magazine, and he gets flown all over. He's probably one of our most accomplished athletes to come out of Durango. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you've been, where this has taken you, and what what made you go to these different places around the world. Well, um, I realized it was something that I really enjoyed and was fulfilling for me, and you know, even though it was not necessarily the most um the the biggest uh career path as far as what people would recommend to do i i just realized it was something that i that i took a lot of pleasure in and enjoyment out of and and i um we got an rv and i i started you know kind of living on the road and basically landscaping to save money and then spending about six months out of the year climbing full time and wow. we would choose to go to either bishop or or joe's valley or whichever place and and then eventually started saving and going you know five month trip to france uh, you know i did that a couple years in a row spend the the winters there and so yeah. these these climbs are not using ropes. Not using at ropes. All. Yep, yep. We so use what, what are some base, of these climbs you've done? I'm just trying to imagine like how high well, do you, you know, go sometimes because you're obviously putting your life in danger. Yeah, you know, it varies from area to area. You know, you use what we call a crash pad, which is basically like a glorified um, super dense cell mattress, essentially. It's it's like a, almost like a pad you'd use at the gym, okay. you know? And you lay that down below what you're going to climb. And then, you know, kind of the sky's the limit as far as what you're willing to do. Certain areas lend themselves to a lot more danger. Like Bishop is kind of one of the, uh, you know, I've gone there a few times um, for long periods of time. Five month stint, a three month stint, you know, a couple weeks stint here and there. And those boulders are kind of known to be some of the scariest. They're giant granite eggs. Some of them can be... 60 feet tall you yeah. know generally the business which is the hardest part where you're most likely to fall will happen in the most 30 you know in the beginning 30 feet of the climb and then ideally you're on um a softer angle like a slab for the top out which obviously you cannot fall it's not an option but um but you know there's climbers who who choose to do high balls as their as their particular thing that they're known for. And then there's climbers that choose difficulty and there's climbers that choose both. And I kind of fall somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah. you have I, a, you're a little more sane, uh, especially <laughs> these days, you okay. know, at that younger age, I definitely took some, uh, a couple unnecessary risks here and there. I used to like be into free soloing and climbing things without ropes. And, and, um, now I want to, 
I, I figure you can't really get better if you're uh, if you're injured. So, so you're 37. Uh huh. Started when you were around 15, 16 years old, and you did it for what 12 to 15 years or so, and then you kind of had a lull there, right? I yeah, actually, I I climbed pretty much solid nonstop until I was maybe 25 or so. And then I um, had a death in the family. My father passed away. And I kind of had to come back to Durango to try to settle his estate and deal with all that. And it was a complicated, difficult process. You know, it was mostly just kind of me dealing with a lot of it. And um, I had climbed for a couple of years and I started getting all these injuries. You know, I was pushing myself really hard to try to put these new routes up and I got a pretty severe back injury, tore a muscle, I had a bad IT band injury, and honestly I, I started getting into music and playing music all the time and that kind of lent itself to sort of a kind of a rock star style life and what we kind started of music do you play? what what instrument do you play um i do vocals oh, cool. for for a group called diabolical sound platoon here in durango we've played wow. all kinds of festivals and toured cool. all over the place and yeah and that was a great time you know what i mean i don't really regret any of it but at the same time we we were touring a lot we were playing a lot we were drinking massive <laughs> massive amounts and living oh. the rock star lifestyle and sure. it you know it quickly starts to build up, you know, and before I knew it, um, basically close to 10 years had passed where I didn't climb anything, zero climbing whatsoever. I, you know, we had just been, you know, living that kind of music lifestyle and I had... Yeah, time flies, right? Yeah, I had become a partier mm -hmm. at that point, you know, mm -hmm. and I had... I had invested my energy into, you know, into drinking and socializing and some of it was good and some of it was bad, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it can be kind of a destructive way to yeah, lead your life. You absolutely. Know? So did you wake up one day and just say, I can't do this anymore and I really miss climbing or what did, what was to, it? Yeah. To an extent, I had known that I had taken it too far and I was, you know, just out of hand with everything and I had kind of stopped drinking for a month or two here and there and then I had my um kind of my proverbial like rock bottom moment I suppose even though there were moments that were worse than that the rock bottom moments never always the full rock bottom you know what I mean it's just whatever wakes you up sure and in this particular case it is you know, we had uh, tasted Durango had happened, and we went around and drank a bunch. We hardly ate anything, even though it's called Taste of Durango. And um, I ended up going to a little party afterwards, which was some of my more, like, affluent friends, you know? So it was, like, more of, like, a cocktail party where people are dressed nice with doctors and people who are with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I proceeded to just get, you know, completely peeled back. And I think I... Um, at one point, I stumbled and smashed my face on the ground oh and boy. shattered my glasses. And at the time, the glasses were a big deal for me because I actually um, didn't get them until I was 33. The eye doctor said that I had the worst vision he'd ever seen as far as not having corrective, you know, not having double the legally blind limit to drive. He was horrified that I that I was even on the road with his family and friends. You know what I mean? So I kind of in that moment kind of blinded myself. You know, I'd broken this thing that I had that I had treasured. You know, the ability to see, to be able to see like leaves on the trees or or stars in the sky or to read subtitles on a movie or you know what I mean? Sure. 
And this thing that I had kind of marveled at when I got them was kind of gone. And I kept thinking to myself, like, you've blinded yourself, you know? Like, mm. what, have, what have you done? Like, what are you doing with yourself? You know, you've spent so much time, like, destroying yourself, you know? So I kind of carried those broken glasses around for a little while, just as kind of a just reminder. A reminder, sure. Yeah, and there was the time, the interim time of waiting for the other ones to come in. I just kind of kept reminding myself, and, and I just decided that, you know, Hopefully you that was driving. it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I decided that that was kind of it for me, that I, mm. that I wasn't going to drink anymore, which was a challenge at first. But, you know, something that a lot of people I don't think realize with that type of lifestyle is a lot of these, like, you know, different types of self-help things or all these things, they, they talk about it being, like, the easy path or you're doing nothing. Or you're not, but in reality, it's a ton of work. You know what I mean? Like, like living that way and being an alcoholic is hard on you it it's, it's expensive it takes a ton of time it's exhausting it's physically brutal mm -hmm. to do it you know what i mean so you know coming to that realization that you are putting the work in when you do that it, I think is kind of important. You know what I mean? It, it, to understand it's that way to look at it. it's not doing nothing. It's doing a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's tiring and it's hard on you just the way that anything can be expensive. tiring and hard on you. Yeah. <laughs> brutally expensive. And that was a big part of it too, is I think that, um, I took the money that I would have spent on alcohol and I, I set up a weekly budget and then I knew that that money was expendable before for the last 10 years. So I just put that money into a brokerage account every single week. Oh, good for you. That's and, a lot of discipline right there. Yeah, well, you would not believe how fast it builds up, <laughs> you know? So then let's move forward a little bit. You decided, I'm assuming, hey, I want to get back to some of the things I used to cherish. Yeah. And I want to start climbing again. Yeah. So the first step was, you know, basically, you know, obviously making the decision that instead of destroying myself and whatever secret underlying self-hatred that I had before, um, that I needed to maybe work on doing something creative, creating myself, you know what I mean? And um, so I, I really dug into fixing my injuries, 100%. I mean, I started doing physical therapy constantly, preventative physical therapy for injuries that I had forgotten that I even had, tons of back physical therapy, going into the rec center, walking against the current, doing, you know, really trying to just start at the very beginning and take a really, really humble approach, which is difficult because I used to be this athlete, you know what I mean? I used to be this full-time competitive climber. I was climbing, putting things up in Durango and you're pushing, tearing, tearing everything back down, starting with the foundation. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. So yeah, I started going to that. I started going to like water aerobics classes and, you know, basically me and a bunch of, you know, 70 year olds hanging out at the rec center, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, you know, I just took that slice of, of humble pie and started doing that. And then, you know, so it had been a little while that I had not been drinking and my brother had gotten into climbing and he started saying, oh, you know, come to the climbing gym with me. And, and there was an ego thing there because I knew that when I got back, I would, wouldn't be able to do anything. Sure. In your and, mind, you, you had already conquered all these little, yeah. little things at the gym, but now you gotta, you gotta start over again. Exactly. Like learning how to walk. Yeah, and that was scary. You know, it's always scary to, to fail or to not be good at something, especially if it's something that you were good at previously, mm. you know? But I just said, you know, whatever, I'm going to go do it and just have fun and see what it's like, you know? So I, I started getting back into it and just, 
I, I just said, you know, I'm not going to get an injury. I'm going to just start slow. I had been listening to this uh, interview. I can't remember who the – but it's a guy who trains MMA fighters. It was something on like one of the Joe Rogan podcasts or something. Mm -hmm. But he had basically talked about this flow training where you're doing everything um, – based purely on how your body feels, based purely on like your technique and your execution, but you're not pushing it to the breaking point, which was kind of unusual for me because previously I had always pushed always everything. Always challenged yourself to Yeah, exactly. And I always injured myself all the mm -hmm. time and had just like gaping always, finger always wounds. Always more, right? I exactly. Got... That's what, what my attitude was, you know. And in this approach, I just said, just go a little at a time, always feel good, never feel sore, but continue to do it constantly. Always making progress. Exactly. His philosophy was when he trains his fighters, let's say you have your max amount of push-ups you can do is 20, right? Then you don't do 20 push-ups because then the next day you're sore and you have to rest. So you instead do 15 push-ups, but you're doing them every single day. So, you know... Over the span of time, you've done 30 push-ups in two days as opposed to 20 push-ups in two days with the rest. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you're increasing your overall volume. His fighters were rolling almost every single day of the week. You know Just what I mean? And failure. over the span of time, they ended up having more time on the mat than, than Makes their sense. competitors, you know, and less injuries, less burnout, you know, and just better overall for your body when sure. you're not spending all that time recovering, you know. Absolutely. So how long did you spend in this, so to speak, flow training and, and then how long did it take you to get back I mean, tech, on the rocks? You know, Big technically, rocks. I'm still kind of doing the flow training to an extent, but... Um, but it was, you know, it's 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 about a year or so that I was kind of spending in the gym doing all these little things. I decided I'm going to start at the easiest level, you know, even though previously I had been climbing these, you know, these what we would call double digit problems. Basically in climbing there's a difficulty scale and it goes from V0 to currently V17 is the record. The okay. world record of hardest. And so I started at the very, very beginning, the very easiest things. And how I, high had you, excuse me for interrupting you, how high had you been at your best previously? How high had you been on that V scale? I had been right around V11, V12, it goes which. Up to 17, wow. Yeah, which okay. in Durango, well, and then at that time when I had been at that level, it didn't go to V17. Okay. V14 was the very hardest. So you were right at the top of the game. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I had put up one of the most difficult climbs in Durango. It was Al Montana is what it's called. It's named after my father who'd passed away. And um, that was his alias when, okay. when he had uh, fake uh, passports made. We'll okay. go into that later. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But, um, but uh, so, you know, it was a big starting at the very, very beginning, you know. And, you know. Well, that is humbling. Yeah, so I would just write down every single climb, everything in the gym, every single thing. And I would just start at the, the very bottom and then do every single one of those V0s and then do every single one of those V1s and then every single one of those V2s. And if I got to one that was not that hard, but I, I couldn't do it, I forced myself to do it. I forced myself to learn, relearn that technique, relearn that style, relearn everything. Good for you. And wow. it, was, it was difficult, you know. But I was, I was climbing with my brother all the time, and I just started slowly coming back, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, I, could, I started being able to do these, these harder and harder things. And then we started going outside, and that was obviously a humbling experience because I was falling off things that I used to warm up on, you know? 
But after about a year and a half, I started really, it started to click, you know. There's a really famous um, saying, and I, I don't know if James Clear actually wrote the saying, but it's basically the concept of there's, you're in a room with an ice cube, and that ice cube is frozen, you know what I mean? And, and as, you, as you raise the temperature in the room, you notice zero difference. The only time you notice the difference is at 32 degrees when the ice cube melts. But it's still just as important for there to be that difference between 32 and 33 degrees as 25 and 26 degrees. It's just, it doesn't feel like it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not an instant reward, you know? Sure. So for me, um, just that consistency and that discipline started to build up and then I started saying, you know, well, what if I could be as strong as I was, you know? And, and of course, I had one of my friends who's, who's always rational thinker, and he didn't, uh, he didn't want me to be disappointed. So he, he said, you're 37 now. There is no way. <laughs> it's not you know possible, what I mean? Sir. It is not physically possible. Yeah. So, uh, so he said, you know, that, that's not happening. Just, just accept that you, you enjoy it now. And, you know, for some reason that lit a fire under me. And I was like, you know, I think it is possible. Mm -hmm. So I said, what you needed. Exactly. So I set this goal to basically do this climb. It's called Agent Orange. It's, it's one of Chris Schulte's very first, very, 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 very difficult climbs in Durango. And this climb I had tried, and this is not an exaggeration, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times when I was in my 20s. I had hundreds of times, you know, days and days and days, weeks. I'd, I'd suffered injuries. I'd gotten flappers. I'd tore my fingers to shreds. I had literally gotten long-term. That's probably where the IT band injury came from. I had spent years of my life trying to do this thing. Mm. And in reality, looking back on it, it was probably because I was cutting a corner. I was trying to jump ahead mm -hmm. to that grade, sure. you know, and instead of taking all the steps. So I decided, you know, I want to do that. So I started working my way through systematically all the things leading up to that. And then, uh, you know, this summer... I went up to it and I tried Just it. this past summer. So you mm -hmm. mean you're 37. And, yep. Okay. At 37. And I was like, let's see what happens. And it started to feel kind of good, you know? And I mean, in the gym, I'd had these, these kind of massive um, breakthroughs, you know? That uh -huh, things, things that I could never do before, mm -hmm. you know? I could never really just crank out one-arm pull-ups and things like that. And all of a sudden, I was starting to be able to do things like that. So I thought, well, maybe... Maybe it's the time to go try it. And I, I took a really scientific approach, you know. I wrote every single thing down. I wrote every aspect of the climb down. I, I envisioned what the person who was able to do that would look like. I took, you know, I, I started, like, stretching a certain way for that climb. I started training a certain way for that climb. And then I went and uh, tried it and did it. Wow. And it was just, I mean, it's almost emotional. It's what hard a, to even talk about it. Oh, like, yeah. What an achievement. I yeah. Mean, you had tried it hundreds of times. Yeah. And now at 37, because you had, you had done it right so many times in your 20s. Yeah. And, every, and then now you have people, you've conquered your addiction to alcohol. Right. You're considered an old climber. Right. And your buddies are like, yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's, that's yeah. not me. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Mm. So that was the major turning point because it was like, you know, how do you, how do you scale like what, what was the hardest thing 
for you at that time, you know what I mean? With climbing, it's really easy. You can either do it or you can't do it, period. Mm -hmm. So are you as strong as you were in the past or not? It's it, That one was simple. It was like, you do the thing that you could never do before. And you, that was the moment I knew that I had, I was back. I had was stronger than I was in my quote-unquote prime. Or well, and you put together that systematic approach with no shortcuts and using your mind and your body and and not overtraining and exactly wow exactly and just taking taking the medicine you know sure. what i mean if if it's not if it's not happening on those easier climbs figure it out no matter what it takes period no no it takes excuses. a lot of a lot of humility to uh-huh to yeah. to face up to those things yeah and that's something i i had never done before you know when i was in my 20s i didn't i i wanted to jump ahead i wanted to climb the hardest thing i didn't and in reality, it's funny because had I just had I just taken that time, I probably would have climbed much harder and had less injuries and less whatever. You know, it's uh, and and so I did it, and then I was like, "What do I even do? I've done now what the goal that <laughs> that I thought was unachievable. I mean, I expected it to take many, many, many years. So this was just a few months ago. Uh huh. So now it's on the docket. What so do you, what then do you have planned. Then I thought, what's the next really unreasonable thing? And I thought, what if I could do everything? What if I could do every single boulder problem in Durango, period? Every V0, every V1, every V2, every single climb. So then I said, why not, right? So I'm going to try it. And things just, things that I could never even touch before just started falling together. All of a sudden I had done... I was walking up and just finishing things. You know well, what I mean? you conquered one of your dragons, so yeah. why not conquer more? Exactly. So I had, I, I went and I did basically all of the V11s in Durango. Another one of the possible V12s. I have now narrowed it down to about five of the double-digit really difficult ones that are left. And weirdly, this summer has been... I climbed more difficult climbs than in the entire climbing career that I had previously. That includes going to Canada, France, Waco Tanks, Bishop, spending years and years of my life. I climbed more difficult climbs just this summer mm. than all of that time combined. And it was that, that ice cube thing. It was the, the aggregation of, of minor gains leading up to, you know, building a foundation, like you said, you know, and... And it's, it has just been a trip. So the new goal basically is to, one, accomplish every single thing. And those are all Chris Schulte's problems. So mm. those are the really hard ones, right? And then the, the goal after that will be to put up, to author new climbs in Durango that have never been done by anybody. And we have no idea how difficult they are. And we have no idea if some of them are even possible or not. And you know, because that's how you kind of add to the legacy. That's how you push the absolutely push it forward. You know. So I got to ask you a personal question. Yeah. Have you? How long have you been sober? Um. Let's see. It would have been tasted Durango almost three years ago. So about two and a half, three years or so. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's a monumental achievement. Yeah. Yeah. And arguably, you wouldn't have done. What you did this summer and, and beyond, you wouldn't have... There would have been no way. You know, if you hadn't broken your glasses at a party and, and uh -huh. really kind of 
looked inside and totally and, and uh, started over, so yeah. to speak. Yep, yep. That was that was a big thing, you know. Is is the thing about getting sober that's interesting, and I think that I I think that like a lot of programs are really great and they help people, but it's a struggle to find your new identity. You know, you all of a sudden are hanging out with new people. You're doing, you're not doing this go-to activity anymore. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I think that a lot of people will quit and it gives them a, a feeling of accomplishment for a little while, but then there's that crushing, like, Oh no, what do I do now? It's not enough just to not do something. You have to also do things. <laughs> you know what I you've mean? Gotta, you've got to have an alternative. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and if your entire identity is just something that you don't do, mm-hmm. then what What are you? you I know? tell people that with food. You know, if you're addicted to potato chips. Absolutely. Probably shouldn't have them in your house. You need to have something else to snack on. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. some healthy vegetables or something else. But Exactly. And that's the way it is with everything. You need to create a resistance to doing the things that are bad. You know what I mean? If you watch too much TV, make it harder to do that. If you, you know, I've been I've been reading this this great book, that Atomic Habits book, which I think is excellent. And it's a lot of information that a lot of people just naturally do, but some people don't, you know? And the negative habits also increase over time, <laughs> you know? The positive habits can, but you need to you need to make it harder to do the negative things and easier to do the positive things, essentially. And when you get that momentum going, right? Exactly. I mean, with you, I'm assuming, get away from liquor for, you know, a week, mm-hmm. and in the midst of that, feeling better and sleeping better, and starting exactly. to see improvements in your climbing. Right. Just gives you that much more fuel. Oh, yeah. To keep going that route and not go backwards. Absolutely. And it slowly builds up. I mean, now I train probably 20 to 25 hours a week. You wow, know, that's a lot. So it's insane. You know, I mean, obviously that schedule slowly happens, but when you really think about all the time that you you're not spending at the bar, you've opened up this <laughs> new realm of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, to have that perspective, yeah, yeah, to truly look inside and 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 acknowledge, and yeah, know that you're saving time, saving money, being productive, right, being healthy. Totally. Feeling mentally better, feeling, you know, it, it, it really goes to everything, you know. You're, people always separate your brain and your, your physicality, you know. They say smarter versus stronger. But your brain is an organ, you know what I mean? Your brain is part of your body. And it's it can, just like your muscles. It controls you know? everything. Yeah, and, and how, how, how effective your body is also affects how your brain functions, you know. And that's just scientific fact you know so you know and and that that whole concept of the flow training it doesn't mean that you don't uh push it to an extent it just means that you always shift gears if you're lifting weights too much and you're starting to feel sore you switch to stretching if if you've been doing that too much and your your arms start to feel rattly like you're gonna injure yourself and you switch to swimming if you're you know there's always something to work on you know I've, I've seen it for a long long time and my, with myself included but with with weight training it's easy maybe especially for men to oh I'm gonna push the limit a, I can I know I can do that right a little heavier when the reality is especially when we're looking at strength training to use progressive overload and just 
minimal amounts of change over time. Exactly. I mean, the old school guys, you know, pre-steroid era and stuff that mm -hmm. were strong as oxes. Right. Even if they weren't that big, that's all relative. But they got just incredibly strong by only increasing a fraction. Right. Every week. Exactly. But you just, you know, it's kind of like the whole Milo of Crete story yeah whether it's true or not but the boy that would lift the calf right until he became a man and then he was lifting a cow oh yeah, i they love each, that they each grew a little bit yeah every day every week right and you didn't notice those small incremental changes right and like you were saying it isn't it isn't that much of a shock on your body right when you're not pushing it to the limit every time you're just but you, as totally. you were saying it's giving you more time yeah, Whether that's on the mat or in the gym. Absolutely, on the rock. Yeah, um, you know, and it's and it's scientifically proven. You know, people are stronger now than they were at that time. You know, back in the day when people were pushing things and doing it to that mm -hmm. extent. Like, I could destroy my twenty-year-old self. You know what I mean? It wouldn't even be a. It wouldn't even be a competition. You know what I mean? It's it it it. There is something behind that, behind those very small gains as opposed to pushing it. And really, it's just that you're sitting at home injured. <laughs> you can't get stronger if you're injured, yeah. you know? Well, Sam, well, this is all good stuff. And I, you know, a lot of this I didn't know. And I, it, uh, it takes a, a very humble man and a very open person to come on and, and talk about, you know, your addiction. Um, which I think a lot of people have. They may just might not be willing to right. admit it. Yeah, right? totally. And so being uh, willing to admit that on here is huge. And I just, uh, you know, yeah. big, big kudos for for conquering, yeah. you know, slaying that dragon and yeah. allowing yourself to go back to square one. Right. And to do something that you love and cherish. Yeah. And to, to do even better now. Um, I think it gives people a lot of hope. Right. You know, whatever that is in their life that they're passionate for, um, you know, don't let anybody tell you it's totally. too late. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, is your life a, a movie that you would watch? You know? Great is point. it something that you would want to see? Are you interested in your own life? You know? That's important. That's a really important question to yeah, ask. Yeah, I like that. That's a great, you great know? analogy, a great question to ask. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know... You want to, there's a delicate balance between being hard on yourself and, and being supportive of yourself. You know what I mean? Like you're being hard on yourself when you sit at home and drink, whether you think you are or not, you okay. know what I mean? Yep. And, and there's so much stigma around it and there's mm -hmm. so much identity, especially in a place like Durango, you know, something about these mountain towns produces this idea that you go and you, you wear your Carhartt jacket and you're drinking pints after work and there's there's a certain aspect of of toughness yeah if you're not doing that. that then you maybe you don't belong here right? yeah. yeah and and it's just such a fallacy it's it it's is. like the concept of you must be crazy if you go to therapy like everybody needs to work on those things Absolutely. everybody in the world could benefit from working on their own mental health well and now more than ever during this time of covid and uh we all need to to do more self-reflection, I think. Yeah. It's easy. Uh, yeah. Myself included, it's easy to drink more than than we should. Right. Um, and part of it maybe, I know for me, has been a little pat on the back of, oh, well, you know, maybe you deserve it. Or, right. It's okay. Right. Have a couple extra drinks. Totally. When the reality is, right. no, it's not. 
Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it could be a tough thing to face, you know. And, and, and at the end of the day, though, it, it's like it also helps to just realize that everybody struggles with these things. Yeah. You know, if you're heartbroken over lost love and you're just down in the dumps and you just feel like you just want to beat yourself up, you know, flip on the radio. Every single song is about your scenario. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. none of it's unusual. You're not the only one in the world who struggles that way. All like, dealing with similar struggles. Yeah, yeah, and that's acceptable. It's okay to know that, you know, you, you feel crummy about something or you're, you're having a hard time or you need to reach out for help. You know what I mean? But it's, there's a great saying, I, I want to say it's Nietzsche, but it's something that the, the real misery doesn't come from the neurosis. It's the person who has a neurosis but does nothing to set about fixing it, you know? That's powerful, yeah. Again, really appreciate you being such an open book. Absolutely. And I wish you nothing but the best. Well, thank you. And I you. know you're going to go keep reaching those other heights. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to go back and conquer some of these these huge climbs that you've done. I mean, you've already been doing it. Some, maybe some of the other ones around the world. Yeah. I admire you, and I know a lot of people are going to take some great words of wisdom from things that you've talked about today. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Sam. This podcast is brought to you by the popular books, Wellness Toolbox 1 and 2. These books are available on Amazon, as well as at local Durango, Colorado merchants. Purchase your copies today.